This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. I'm uh, joined today by old friend Andrew Lawrence, who is a writer for The Guardian, amongst other places. Um, Hi. How are you doing, Drew? Good. How are you doing? I'm great. So we're going to talk about some stuff, but uh, we're specifically going to talk about um, about the Bears and... Um, what they're going to do with their number one pick, and I'm sure they won't screw it up. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what the hell's going on with the Bulls, but I want to spend uh, some time talking to you because you are an F1 uh, expert, and I am a. I've, I'm I've, in like year. I've been called that. I'm in like year two and a half of being an F1 fan, and I know it all. So you're going to confirm. <laughs> you're going to confirm to me that I re- that I completely understand everything about it. Awesome. But first off. Uh, thanks to um, some final Sunday of the season shenanigans by the Bears' old friend Lovey Smith, friend, they friend of the currently team. they the Texans pissed Lovey off so much that he he coached his final game in the most unlovey like fashion, and that aggressiveness led the Texans to an improbable win, and the Bears now sit there with the number one pick in the draft, and. Um, First of all, do you buy any of the? I guess Ryan Poles tamped it down quite a bit 
on uh, the first day of the combine. But do you buy any of the, ooh, the Bears might trade Justin Fields and keep the pick talk? I I don't know what to think. It just feels like, you know, like when like people win the lottery and like you think their life is going to be great and it turns out it like it becomes nothing but like heartache and suffering and like somebody kills them or they like die in some mysterious or like this is what it feels like for the bears to have the number one draft pick it's just like how are they how are they not just like how are they going to mess it up but like how calamitous is it going to be when they mess it up uh just because like you know like we're not this team is not like it's not run in such a way where you're like okay you know like somebody like uh you know like the organization like the rams or or the patriot you know like atlanta like the team even atlanta dark crossed uh, atlanta i would expect to like know how to manage uh this situation but you know this is this is like way too much pressure for the bears and i just feel like they're gonna they're gonna throw up all over themselves and it's gonna be hugely embarrassing just imagine but to answer your question (laughs) i was gonna say just imagine Uh if the falcons had the number one pick you know because ryan pace and phil Embry both work for them um or or, uh, yeah i can can you imagine ryan pace sitting in the thing going all right we have the number one pick how many picks can we give up to move up? Um, That's true. That's but true. I'm just saying, like in, in general, throughout the course of like historically, in the in the like throughout the course of that organ, like the organization sort of runs itself in a way where you feel like they would know how to leverage an asset like yeah. that. And I, mean, I feel the, like the Bears have no clue. No, the Bears have been run by the same family of goobers for <laughs> three years, and yeah. Uh, it really went off the rails when the guy who basically invented professional football died, and they've yeah. been cast yeah. adrift ever since with his, uh, with the wrong side of his family running it because his son, his yeah. son was supposed to run it, and Muggs died on him and didn't have any kids, and so the McCaskies have uh, have grabbed onto it with both hands. And you're right, and they haven't had the number one pick since the '40s. Uh, they had it yeah. twice, and one of them they took Mark Harmon's dad. Oh wow, that's yes. that's kind of cool. Yeah, Tom Harmon was he a good actor? Yeah, he wasn't a very good NFL. He was a good college player. He was not a very good professional football player, as the Bears found out. Yeah, yeah. I have been optimistic. I've I've taken the the thought that um, Ryan Poles, and you can't convince me that the Bears didn't just swap out one Matt and one Matt and Ryan for another Matt and Ryan just to save on. Um, the painting on the windows stationary the uh, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> business cards that the whole talk was all right we need to we need people to think that all options are on the table when they want to come talk to us about a trade yeah. and um so we're gonna we're not just gonna blindly go we have we feel like we have our quarterback we don't need to take a quarterback with the first pick um but then in his at the combine press conference, um, Poles basically said, no one has called and made him an offer for Justin Fields. Mm. So we haven't had to worry about thinking about it. Um, when the first day of the combine, at, uh, Adam Schefter immediately tweets out, like as, as businesses, like literally as that Starbucks in the lobby is opening, 
tweets out that the Bears are open for business and they're leaning towards trading the pick. People are like, oh, God, they must not have gotten any calls. Mike Lombardi actually said that. That's a panic. You contact an NFL writer because no one has contacted you. I find that hard to believe because I would think there's teams, teams check in just in case, right? I took it more as, as we found out when he talked at the press conference, he, he'd really like to trade that pick sooner rather than later. And I think that basically him telling Schefter, go ahead, you know, put this out was typically teams don't trade this pick till early April. We're open to trading it next week. So let's yeah. don't get don't as a team out there who hasn't contacted us yet, you might not have time. That's how I took it. Interesting. I take it as even though obviously you're under new management, but like the Trubisky effect. They got the they have the first pick, but don't worry, they'll pick the wrong player. So nobody <laughs> you know, like it's like uh you know, a musical chairs. Everybody just stay seated and just let the bears get up. <laughs> and then somebody take their seat. Like, it's fine. We don't have to do anything. So you don't believe they're going to pull off the rare double trade down where they're going to trade. They're going to trade with the Texans at two. And then they're going to trade with the Colts at four. And they're just going to sit there with this huge pile of draft picks. And they're going to, it's going to be like the 83 draft. And they're just gonna they're gonna sign all these future Hall of Famers and stars on their next Super Bowl championship team. You're not you're not that optimistic that's gonna happen. I would love to believe that, but they have never barred that that one moment in time in recent in recent history, haven't really been visionary about team building. Like apart from like you know, we want a strong defense, and we want a and we want a great running back. And I just feel like it's only like in the last ten years that they have joined like the modern offensive revolution. And I just feel like um, Hertz and Jackson have shown you enough to believe that uh, that Fields Fields a ceiling. It might even be higher than you think it is and that like that their real priority should be like okay how do we like like basically like philly made justin fields or philly made hurts great by just putting all kinds of weapons around him so that like he couldn't fail like even if he was like a little bit off aj brown would would cop with like he was AJ Brown's catch radius is so big that he couldn't possibly miss him if he tried. Like that should be their strategy. And if they land the number one pick, they should be like, okay, Fields is our guy, and like we have a guy that we can work with. So it's just about like getting him the arsenal to bring out the potential. But the fact that they're just like, well, nobody's made us an offer yet. It just just shows like, okay, you guys have no plan. There's no plan here. I mean, this is a franchise that has never had a 4,000-yard passer, ever. Not a single yeah. season. Eric Kramer came yeah. close once. Jay would have done it one year, and he he hurt something with, like, three weeks to go. Their leading all-time receiver is Johnny Morris, who has who was a flanker, not even a wide receiver. Yeah. Hasn't played in 50 years, more than 50 years, and has barely 5,000 career receiving yards. I mean, this is a. Oh, this is a Mo- Moose didn't get. Uh, didn't get I no, guess oh, no. On, on, remember this crap. Mike Donahue and I talk about this all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's just the most fascinating thing for us is just how 
consistently awful the Bears passing game has been forever. It's like that's a bigger yeah, tradition yeah. for the Bears than Hall of Fame middle linebackers is inept yeah. passing. I mean, they never have yeah. a year without that. They don't always have a Hall of Fame middle linebacker, but they they never have a competent passing game. And it's just like that's a that's an area where they can get good right away where it's not just like they already have a good tight end, so why not just go shopping in the SEC for some receivers? Like clearly, they like yeah, that will return uh, investment immediately. Um, you know. Well, they did draft an I, SEC yeah. receiver last year. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But, I, but now, Jones. <laughs> I, yeah, I know, right? Even even when we have we have the opportunity, we find like yeah, yeah. What's the what's the uh, what's the oldest prospect in this draft that we can? Uh, um, but yeah, I just have I and I feel like Fields not only does Fields have the talent to improve, he has the chip on his shoulder. Yeah. Like he's yep. he's looking at uh, at uh, Trevor Lawrence being like that should have been me. He's getting better. Like I'm better. Th- I've been better than that guy pretty much my entire life. Uh, and uh, it's it's a travesty that I fell as far in the draft as I did, and like he's he's hungry, so like feed him, you know. So I just uh, it's so frustrating. And then they you know they're gonna move to Arlington Heights anyway. So then, then at, at that point, I'll really have to like uh, reconsider uh, my my fandom. But um, but yeah yeah all this talk of like playing indoors, like you're still gonna pair play like bear weather ball inside oh they're still uh, they're, st- no they're still gonna somehow make sure they just have terrible grass indoor. no yeah, we're gonna yeah. grow grass in here you can't and we're gonna do it anyway you've never seen we're gonna field. do it anyway it won't be we're any worse three, than the crap we were playing we're on have Soldier four field. concerts a week and uh <laughs> totally yeah. mess it up we got a high school uh, triple header on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> right. Saturday yeah. college of DuPage yeah. is gonna play here and then uh now <laughs> and then we'll play on Sunday it'll be great yeah. Um, yeah. God. The uh, it's exasperating for people clearly. who are like, uh, well, there there are a few national uh, football supposed experts who I get the feeling like Mike Tannenbaum on ESPN every day, yeah. every day makes the case on that stupid Get Up show about how the Bears should trade Justin Fields. And and the number the number two the two reasons he gives that they should do this is number one, then they would restart the they'd have they'd have a quarterback on a rookie contract, but they'd go back two years, and that's a real value. Yeah. The Bears have yeah. the Bears have almost a hundred million dollars in cap space. This is not a team that needs to worry about yeah. three years from now having to pay big money to their quarterback. That that argument holds nothing with me. To the anybody. Is, right. <laughs> the other the other part of it is He's so enamored with uh, with Bryce Young and thinks he's going to be a superstar. So I'm going to ask you a trivia question here. Bryce Young, we'll find out. I don't know if he weighed in today at the Combine or not, but he's listed at Alabama at like 192 pounds, which means he probably weighs 175. Yeah. Do you know the last... He's like barely six foot. Yeah. Do you know the last quarterback to be drafted in the first round who weighed less than 200 pounds? Is it... Uh... What's his name in Arizona? No, Kyler Murray weighed more than two hundred. Murray? I don't know. It's Jim McMahon. Really? Oh, that's oh how far you have that's to go a, back. And he was like 196 a, pounds or something. Great that's, guy. Terrible, terrible health comp. Well, and see, that's 
wouldn't that scare you then? <laughs> You're like, all right. Yes. What was the only thing that derailed Jim McMahon? He could never stay healthy. He because could, yeah. If you hit him, it, well, he would throw his body yeah. around like he like he was durable, but he wasn't. So he would all, yeah. always be hurt. The the thing about Bryce Young is there have been short quarterbacks even in recent years who've been really good. Like Drew Brees is not tall. Yeah. But Drew Brees is not small. He sh- he was short. Right. He was sturdy. He was, you know, Russell um, was another guy. Right, Russell Wilson. Was shorter. Probably not even six foot, but he's thick. Kyler yeah. at five two or whatever he is, looks like a little ball running around because he's, you know, he's he's got he's got muscles on him. Yeah. It's not just that Bryce is short. Bryce is small. He doesn't have a frame that it looks like you could put a lot of weight on. And he, yeah, he's really good. But how much is how good? How much good is that going to do you? When a 340-pound guy plops on him, and your really talented quarterback now has broken like four bones, and you're going to see him yeah. again next year, that's you know, the, to me this this discussion would be a real discussion if the Bears had as the opposed one to the pick. quarterback that you have, who is gigantic yes. and people bounce off of him, yes. and he can take off for like a 95-yard touchdown yeah. run at any point. Yeah, yeah, you'd be trading in slightly better accuracy for. for a, a waif basically yeah, yeah like if you're yeah. going to make a, a pros and cons list for justin fields the pros they're a lot yeah the cons are real but they're overcomable he is um he the the thing about him being slow to read to react to defense is true we see it we see it all the time and yeah. he's surprisingly, for as accurate as he is down the field, he's a tremendously accurate deep thrower and a good yeah. – he misses a lot of short throws. And part of that is because he, for some reason, will just decide, kind of Brett Favre-esque, I think I'm just going to sidearm this one. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, Justin, you're 6'3", throw it over the guy. Don't bounce it off the face of the of a lineman. But all the other stuff he's got, that's a pretty short list of cons, and it's one that – Two of them, are, I think, are related. I think the inaccuracy on the short throws and the variable mechanics, I think that's one issue. I don't think it's two. It's so and, and you fixable, put him, though. <laughs> right. It's, it's so completely fixable. fixable. <laughs> so is the – because I think we've already seen it. I think he – we saw during his first full year as a starter and his first full year without Matt Nagy around being dumb. Um, he started – it looked like he was processing defenses faster. So it could be a year yeah. from now. There's barely anything on the cons list. So why would you change now? I just I don't see it. I don't and I to the Bears credit, I don't think they've actually given any serious thought to 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 changing quarterbacks. I think it's just a frustrating the Bears have the number one pick and what's the most obvious storyline we could talk about to fill fifteen minutes on whatever you know yeah. chat show we've got. Well let's talk about the Bears screwing it up and and trading the, the first really good quarterback they've had in a long time. Yeah. Um who gives me Josh Allen vibes, frankly. I think yeah. I think Fields could be really, really good. And the and the whole difference from for Josh Allen was coaching and talent. Yeah. And he became Josh Allen. Yeah. Well John Greenberg and I were talking about how I think people don't realize how big Justin is. And I think the reason and John gave the reason he's got a, he's got a baby face. So yeah. like on T V yeah. You think, oh, he's, you know, he's obviously, he's a sturdy-looking dude, but you don't realize that he's almost 6'4", and he's like yeah. 235 pounds, and he's usually the fastest guy on the field. And 
Which yeah. we never got to saw to see really at Ohio State because he was just lighting it up with his arm. Yeah, he had. And part of the reason I'm sure that he was that he's he's a little slow sometimes on reads is he had like 12 seconds to throw at Ohio State. Yeah, you could right. wait for yeah. the fourth option to get all the way across the field. It's like oh, he's going to yeah. get open eventually. I'll just wait. And yeah. then you exacerbate that by giving him um, you give him the Bears receivers. <laughs> And right. the Bears' offensive line. And all of a sudden, it's like, holy crap! I don't have any time to do anything. Yeah, it's just like. So hopefully they'll fix it. He has some that. two or three. Uh, so what I'm hearing is two or three uh, deficiencies that are fixable yep. for a guy who has uh, talent, uh, physical, the right sort of physical stature and tools. High work ethic and a grudge uh, and an axe to grind against the league. Like, if that doesn't scream like future superstar, like we need to hang on to this guy uh, with our fingernails. Like, I don't know. I don't know what does. Yeah, I agree. Um. Yeah. So, I know Chris Ballard poo pooed it during his little media session, but I it seems to me like the most obvious trade that's that the Bears will get offered and they'll probably take is trading down to four. Yeah. So the Colts can move up to one and get their quarterback, especially since uh, crazy Jim Irsay basically said, even before he hired his new coach, well, the kid from Alabama looks pretty good. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. Thanks, Jim. Just could you not just go, go sing somewhere. We don't need you. We don't need you talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so don't in you that, and Jim Dolan it, have a, uh, have a gig somewhere. Okay, I hope. Yeah. yeah. People pay big money for that. <laughs> it's too bad Ed McCaskey's not still around. He was a he, he was like a lounge singer. That was um, was he really? Virginia. Oh, oh yeah, that's, he was. George never liked him. Um, <laughs> and he would sing uh, "Bear Down, or, Bear Down, Chicago Bears" at the drop of a hat for anybody, anytime. That's great. Yeah. Um. So everybody's been talking about. Well, the Bears need to make it. If the Bears somehow stay in the top four, which they probably should, they're going to have to pick between Jalen Carter, Georgia, and Will Anderson at Alabama. And then uh, Jalen was supposed to talk to the media at the combine on Wednesday, and then he didn't. And then they found out yeah. that that the accident, quote unquote accident, that killed the Georgia player so um, sometime in January. Uh, Jalen, that guy was racing, and the guy he was racing was Jalen Carter. And the and the uh, sports information intern. I don't want I don't want her to get forgotten right. in this tragedy uh, either. But yeah, I was shocked uh, to learn that. And uh, yeah, I uh, <laughs> it's just like this is why I'm like, all right. So there's there goes Plan B. Uh, what else? What else you got? Uh, what else you got, guys? Is there anything else? Uh, can we interest you in any other positions yep. on the board? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's funny because that's it's, it's... that position, which back I'm old enough to remember when they called that a defensive tackle, but now it's a three technique. Yeah, um, is like the linchpin to the Matt Eberflus defense. Yeah. So like that's like the perfect guy for them to take, and now there's a big question mark hanging over it although um somebody on yahoo wrote a thing about it this morning about ask some personnel guys how will this affect his draft stock and they all basically went Mm -hmm. 
it won't. Yeah, that's you know, true. It's two, it's two misdemeanors. They'll plead to something. By the time the draft comes, you know. It'll be old news. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of sad. But... Super sad. Yeah. Um, and the fact that, you know, he, unlike quarterback, you know, we love defensive stars in Chicago. So, he'll, like, if he's productive right away, it'll be water under the bridge yeah. immediately. Yeah, people will. They'll talk about it. It'll be one of those things that um, he has to talk about at rookie camp. Yeah. And then maybe again at the first day of training camp, and then that'll be it'll be over. It'll be on to other stuff. Like, you know, why yeah. aren't you, you know, why didn't you have four sacks on Sunday? Right, right. Uh, other local team. Or how are you adjusting to all the double teams you're getting or, you know, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, so the other local team I want to talk to you about are the, are the Bulls. Um, who who knew who knew Lonzo Ball was the key to the entire um, Arturus Carnesivus, uh rebuild? But it was. Um, there was, you know, he's been out more than a year now. He's not going to come back this season at all. His career is in serious jeopardy, and it's literally true that the last time they were good was the last game he played in. <laughs> yeah. He really did kind of make all of the other pieces fit. And now he he's did. not there. But don't worry yeah. about it. They have replaced him with Patrick Beverly. So now everything's fine. Gosh. Um, where to even start here? I remember writing last year at the break when they had the league's best record. Like, hey, man, you know, hope this... Hope has finally, like we finally are like through the the worst of it, and maybe this the squad will, you know, will uh, will sort of uh, bridge the the last dance and the next dance. You know, like this will be, this is this is good. This is you know, like we're moving on, and uh, and now I'm just like, how is the medical team with the Bulls not just been totally sacked uh, at this point? Because, like, between Lonzo and Dragic and um, Caruso and uh, and just, like, everybody, it just seems like nobody gets better. <laughs> they all... The injuries just get more... Uh, in, a, in a way, it's kind of a miracle that Levine is uh, is playing because yeah. he came in with the most problems of anybody. Yeah. But I'm just like, you know, oh, what what happens? <laughs> and 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 is there uh, are there whispers about this? Uh, you know, is this is this a thing that keeps other players from from signing here? Um, yeah, I'm just it's so it's so frustrating because you know we. I went and saw them this year against. Uh, they played here in Atlanta. It was the uh, the triple, the double overtime mm-hmm. game. Um, that I was just like, you know, the whole time. Uh, yeah, DeRozan was fabulous, but the whole time you're just like, they shouldn't be in this game. They should not be in this game. <laughs> they should be. They should be blown out. This thing should have been like a 25 point blowout. Uh, but yet they're like hanging around and you just like they have talent and and it just like none of and you're right like none of the pieces fit yeah. because 
their whole point guard picture is messed up. Yeah. yeah, they have talent. They are relatively deep. They have a good coach. Yeah. And I really, I really like Donovan as a yeah. coach. And I, but then it just seems like the team is totally checked out on him now. And uh, Vooch is like so frustrating to watch because it's like so big. And it's like, what, at what point? It was cool when you didn't rebound when you were like scoring uh, 18 <laughs> points a game. But now that you're scoring like 11, it's like, do, do something <laughs> to insert yourself in this game. Oh, it's like, it makes it hard to. Uh, as a Bulls fan who became an NBA fan, as a Bulls fan, to really uh, invest in the NBA when the home team is so terrible. And I was there, and now I'm, yeah. like, you know, falling back a little bit It's again. It's to the point, it doesn't feel like the Jordan era Bulls were the same franchise. Not even yeah. the same team. Not even, it's, it's like, it's like did that, and to learn did that, that they happen? Were so like, I lived through it. I saw it. I watched every yeah. game. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And here we are now. Um, I can't do math. Like twenty five years later, and twenty seven years later. No, twenty five. And um, you're like every minute, year we that, get past that, really that era is like just validates how incredibly how incredibly good a general manager Jerry Krause was. <laughs> is to like keep all of that together not just to keep all of that together amidst the dysfunction on the roster you know now like the, the two best players apparently hated each other the entire time and now it's just like all out there and obviously like he didn't get along with the coach but then to like always add the right piece to keep the thing going it's just um, you know like we can't even we can't even get like one the first the corner piece of the puzzle right <laughs> and yet like he's just like ah well you know we're we're missing you know like this shooter drops off i'll just get some more shooters from here and uh, you know this power forward from here and like we'll just you know as long as i can like convince uh, jordan and scotty to uh to hang around like we can keep this thing rolling you know i'll bring in this guy from croatia They'll hate him for a little bit, but then they'll see that like he can actually be used, like really, really useful, and like, but and they'll hang around and they'll win some more championships together. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um... he'd be great on Get Up, by the way. Krause. Jerry Krause. Oh. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, he was so weird. That that was part yeah. of the you know the weird secret stuff. Like, do you remember the story about um, him trying to uh, sneak Will Purdue in for a draft for a pre-draft visit? As if if people found out that the Bulls were talking about drafting the Will. exciting Will Purdue, that that was somehow going to yeah. screw up the whole draft. It's like Jerry, just knock it off. Um, just just picture him riding in a car up the uh, up the skyway with like a giant uh, black uh, blanket or something a sheet over this like seven foot <laughs> man yeah people can't know that you're here Will yeah. okay yeah so it's either that Jerry was a great general manager and figured out 
would find even some of the unorthodox moves like um, getting Bill Cartwright. You know, yeah. he traded Charles Oakley, who was supposed was Michael's best friend at the time and was like the enforcer and a productive yeah. rebounder, trading him for this odd bodied, you know, this ass was up right, you know, under his neck almost. Yeah. With a ridiculous free throw and that's motion ridic- that he had. With a ridiculous shoot, the, the pendulum uh, shooting motion that he had. Traded, um, traded for him and it But works. it looks like this is the only guy in the East who can defend yeah. uh, Patrick Ewing, so we need him. Yeah. It's either that he figured that out completely, or it's just that Jordan was so good that. Yeah. Well, he, also. All of, a sudden, all of a sudden, Bobby <laughs> Hansen. It <laughs> seems like a really yeah. good idea. That was perfect. That's yeah. just what we need. He's going to make three threes off the bench in game six of the final. But this ridiculous comeback against the Blazers at home. And it'll all be yeah. keyed by Bobby Hansen. So it was a little <laughs> bit of both. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the sad thing about the current iteration of the Bulls is that in order to, to get the players they currently have, you know, they they don't have very much draft capital left. They gave up a lot. The yeah. guys are all older, so even at the trade deadline, it's not like they could start flipping them to get picks back. People are like, well, yeah, we'd like him, but we're not giving you a first-rounder for it. Certainly not an unprotected first-rounder for it. Yeah. Had they bottomed out this year in a draft where everybody wants to get, you know, Victor Wembayana, their lottery pick – well, I guess, I guess that's the one guy they could have gotten because they lose the pick to the Magic unless it's top four, which it's not going to be, yeah. which is why they're trying to get in the play-in tournament. Because it's like we're gonna lose our draft pick. We might as well go. Might as well get semi into the kind of playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then last year they had this when they were good. They had this team that could just any bad team they could obliterate, and they couldn't beat any of the good teams. And this year it's the opposite. Yeah. Like they're they have no problem with the Celtics. They beat the Bucks a couple of times. They have a great record against yeah. the best teams, and then they will get beat by anybody else. Just yeah, <laughs> or they'll blow they'll blow a huge lead to do it. Uh. It's exasperating. Although they did have their moment against the uh, the Nets after the Nets fire sale, where they yeah. blew the doors off of them, yeah. they had a, which must have felt nice. They but had a um, fifty point lead in, at one point in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, fifty, um, which is the team that they I thought they were going to be in the first half of last season when they were just steamrolling ever over uh, over everybody and. Uh, you know, and and fared pretty well against like the Nets. I think they struggled with the Celtics, but the Nets it seemed like they always did. They they matched up pretty well against yeah. them. I could have that wrong, but I, no, I think for right. some reason I think that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm just like I don't know. So so basically, how I'm coping is um, I wrote about the Grizzlies this week uh, because. John Morant reminds me so much of Derrick Rose, um, down to the questionable uh, on the dubious entourage. Yep. yep. Um, the occasional spills just like, out onto the court. <laughs> right. <laughs> that I'm like, oh man, I hope uh, maybe Memphis will find a way not to me- to mess uh, to mess this up because like. Get the same level of excitement watching him, except it seems like he's a little bit better at like protecting his body and when he like flings it into traffic than, than Rose was. It'd be hard to be worse than Derek because he did he almost didn't even bother to break his fall. It's just yeah. like, oh that's what the ground is for. It's like no yeah. Derek, it's yeah. not. 
<laughs> you can brace yeah. yourself. You don't have to just smack the court as hard as you possibly can every yeah. time you get hit. There's there's metal behind that stanchion cushion. Like that's not that's not that's not like a comfy. That's not a couch cushion. It's like Derek, we didn't. They don't put the ice under the court for you to like uh, for you to like ice down your body while you're laying on the floor. That's for hockey later. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna want to yeah. catch. You're gonna want to stick your arm out and catch yourself. But uh, but yeah, it's a, just another Chicago team that I'm just like. What's going on there? And you were you were supposed to be you're supposed to be the well run organization that makes sense and this is happening to you. So now it's just like who do we who do we look to for for a glimmer of hope? The sky lost Candace Parker. I mean it's all falling apart. Yeah, the sky's uh sky's they basically had a they didn't have a fire sale, but everybody just left. Yeah. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, so um, over the I'm I'm one of those annoying people who over the pandemic when I had nothing to do I was flipping around Netflix and I started why I'd heard all this stuff about it. I'm like I'm not gonna watch a three season at the point I think that at that point I think there were three seasons of this docu series about uh, 
European race car drivers. I'm, like, I'm not going to watch yeah. this. And I started to watch it. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and it's like, it's so good. It's. Yeah. So Formula really One, good. I mean, they're, they're the best drivers in the world. Um, and it's it, the, 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 the key to this whole thing is how easy it is to like learn the cast of characters. There's only yes. 10 teams. There's only 20 drivers. And then there's these crazy, uh, weird uh, CEO sort of guys, the principals, who yes. most of them have these outsized personalities. It, made, it makes for super compelling television. So you, as you start to watch it, you just, all of a sudden you you know things about the drivers. There's drivers you immediately like. There's drivers you immediately actually you kind of almost like all of them. There's a few who you're like, eh, yeah. that guy seems like a prick. Yeah. I, I I guarantee you I couldn't spend forty seconds in a room with Pierre Gasly. I just couldn't. Oh, just, see, he's he's a guy I really love. Yeah. Uh, you can you can stay with him. To me, he's just the epitome of whiny French person. <laughs> Well, Pierre got a Pierre got a bad break, you know, but he's he should be out of the sport. But he has proved that he belonged, even though he had a very very hard uh, hazing as uh, Max Verstappen's yes. uh, Red Bull uh, teammate. Yeah, that's um, one of one of the themes of the early seasons is who <laughs> who is Red Bull running out of their number two spot to replace with somebody yeah. else. Just grinding them down, yeah. So they're working on Checo now, who is the best teammate as Max has I, ever had. I love Checo Perez. He seems like the coolest yeah. guy. Um, so it's funny watching watching the early episodes, and uh, you you go to the pastoral home in the English countryside of Red Bull principal Christian Horner, and he's got this cute redheaded wife, and I'm like, oh, she looks like Ginger Spice. And then you find out 30 seconds later, it is Ginger Spice. Absolutely. That's who these people. This is the kind of money these people have. <laughs> or when yep. there's this this failed race car driver who is now running uh, Red Bull Racing, it just ends up with a Spice Girl as his wife, and it's completely normal. After a while, it doesn't yeah. even phase you that that's the kind of people yeah. that you're going to see in this thing. They feed the livestock, pet the horses. She gives him a kiss, and then he gets in a helicopter and goes to work just like anybody <laughs> just like else. You and me. Just like any other regular guy, you know? So the first season of Drive to Survive, you spent a lot of time with Red Bull because yeah. Ferrari and Mercedes didn't want anything to do with it. They, nope. um, It was either going to be a waste of time or they were going to give away, Netflix was going to give away their trade secrets and they didn't want it. So uh, the best driver in the history of F1, Lewis Hamilton, you, you, he's in the documentary only driving his car yeah. <laughs> on the racetrack. It's the only time you ever hear from him. It's the only time you ever see him. And yeah. uh, they, they course arguably, And in addition quickly. to being the best driver, it's arguably the most interesting personality yes. driving right. because He's, of his incredibly varied uh, interests and and his and the fact that he is like actually engaged with the wider world that yeah. we live in. <laughs> Right, which as you as you get to know the drivers, you realize most of them aren't. <laughs> yes, yeah. They, they just to, know the car, yes. and they just know the races, and that's it. They seem to uh, spend all their time either in their race car or doing weird resistance band training with their physio. Because they all yes. have like a personal trainer who spends more time with them than anybody else in the world. That's the person that's that they're true. always hanging out with. 
Um, so, yeah, I, well, I'm glad that Pierre Gasly is not as big a prick as I, as I thought he was. Um, He's a really sweet guy. Yeah. So the current, two, the current two-time reigning world champion, Max Verstappen. Yes. Um, is a, is a, He's a great driver. He's a very awkward person. Yeah. Um, he, you can tell he's a guy who has always been really good at this. His dad, Joost, is that his name? Joost. Was also a driver who we learned uh, in this season. Um, used to hang out all the time with Michael Schumacher. So yes. Max and Mick Schumacher... They spent a lot of time together. It didn't look like they were friends. <laughs> no. Max, to me, seems like a guy who's n- not had a lot of friends. His friend is his, like, his car. That's that's Max's pal. His car, his girlfriend, his in-laws. Just a dubious collection of, of folks. Yeah. Yes, his, his girlfriend, whose father, Red Bull had to, like, tell him to not come around the track last year because he said... Yeah horrible racist things <laughs> like yeah. yeah you're a lot of that you can stay in brazil for a while that would be fine it's a lot of that kicking around the sport unfortunately <sighs> my son just walked in he's playing with uh, an elmo doll listener so that's yeah, we've had that's we've what's had, going on in my neck of the world. we've had worse on this podcast than somebody okay good tickle the elmo yeah so um Max to me is um, like I like watching him drive, and I but I really enjoy the awkward interactions after races um, because one of the things is there's all this stage stuff that has to happen after a race. If you yeah. finish on the podium, first, second, or third, first thing you have to do is you have to go. You, well, you have to drive your car up and park behind the right uh, little sign. Because they have a one, two, three setup on the track. Then you have to go right. into the. Then you have to go into the cool down room, and hang out with the guys who finished second and third. And there's some awkward, uh, banter there. Then you and to... there's a screen going that shows the best maneuvers yeah. on the track that they you scored against. Uh, yeah one another so there's also like well actually you know that move was a little bit too you know so it will you know you get to relive all of the moments that basically uh rankled you during the race (laughs) then you have to go up on the actual podium um where they play the the national anthem of the driver and the national anthem the winning driver of the i guess the home base of the team yes yeah. Um, yeah. So we know the or the host. Uh, no, they play. So before the before the race, they play the anthem of the host country, and then afterward, they play the anthem of the driver okay. of the winning driver. Okay. Yeah. So last year we heard the national anthem of the Netherlands fifteen times. So I feel like I know it. Yes. I know it by heart. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, so then you get your trophy. And then they hand you this enormous magnum of champagne, and then you have to playfully spray the other two dudes 
two of which probably would just as soon like to hit you over the head with the champagne bottle as spray champagne on you. And Pretty honestly, much, yeah. they do a really good job of pretending like they don't hate each other. Yeah. Every time. That's the, the whole weird orchestrated part of that. It just cracks me up. Yeah. Um, and then to Lewis's eternal credit, he even somehow managed to be relatively, like, you know, he lost he lost the championship two years ago on the last lap of the last race in controversial fashion to Max. That seemed like the time when Max should have taken a champagne bottle to the head. On a uh, on a uh, technical ruling that should never have been made, that got everybody involved with it fired. Yep. But. But Max was allowed to keep his championship, even though the the uh, the official let's call it the official tea leaves uh, of of the from the FIA is that a grievous officiating mistake was made that resulted in Max winning the championship. <laughs> right. So you, you correct me if I get any of this wrong. But basically, what happened was in a hard-fought uh, championship season, unlike the one we had last year, where Max won it with four races to go. Yeah. We get down to the end of the f- of the final race, um, and Lewis is going to win. He's got the lead. Yeah. And then there is yeah. a, there's a safety car. That's basically what they call yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what is it. NASCAR. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. A pace car. But there's a uh, there's a wreck, and they have to they have to bring the safety car out to drive around, slow slow down the field, and bunch them back together. They were running out of laps, so the race was going to finish under the safety car. Yeah. And they got the wreck cleared, but they didn't get it cleared in time to do what they always do, which is the last thing they do is they, they instruct the cars that are lapped to get in front of the safety car. Basically, get the fuck out of the way for the right. real racers for the end of the race. Yeah, They didn't do it because they didn't have enough time to get them to the front and still finish while they were racing. So they just left them where they were. And yeah. the safety car peeled off. Well, what had happened was Lewis, because he was leading, he didn't pit. Max did. Yeah. Max gets out of the pits, and he's still in second place. Now he gets to pull right up behind Lewis, and he's got brand new tires, and Lewis doesn't. And Lewis is like, when he hears they're going to restart the way they're going to do, he's like, I'm fucked, because I can't yeah. hold him off on these old tires. Yeah. And it's exactly what happened. And, on and the prior to that, he had what, like a... Ugh. He almost had like a minute long uh, lead on him in the in the like he had a very comfortable cushion pri- on Max prior to that moment. So it yeah. looked for all the world that like his his team's tire strategy was going to pay off, and that all he had to do was just keep yes. running. That there was no way that Max closed because they were on the similar tire strategy, and he was going to win the race. At so, one point, yeah. Lewis could have gotten out of the car and pushed the car. And still, (laughs) and now all of a sudden he's got, uh, he's got a car right up his ass with fresh tires, and he couldn't hold him off, and he got passed, and Max not only won the race, but he won the world championship. Yeah, and but also to Lewis's immense credit and skill, he fought the guy off for two turns, which is like this guy is just such an incredible driver. I mean, there were moments last year where, you know. Their their car, uh, Mercedes's design strategy clearly failed them last year. They were very solidly like the third best team on the grid, and yet there would be uh, 
there would be uh, weekends where, you know, this the car Lewis's car was just like garbage, and he would will it uh, to the front uh, on sheer talent and wind up on the podium. And you're like, how is this guy doing? <laughs> like to me, he's really interesting when he has to like figure out problems like that and. And for people to say that, like, oh, he's just good because Mercedes has had, like, this huge technical, this decade-long technical advantage in the hybrid area era sort of misses just how damn good this guy is in anything you give him. Um, so one of the things I enjoy about watching the races is it's unbelievable to me the way this, these races are covered on TV. You know, these tracks are two and a half, three and a half miles long, and there nothing happens on the track that you don't see. They yeah. will they will find a if it doesn't if you don't see it live, they will find an angle of it and they will show you everything that happens. And it's just like playing the F one uh, video game on PlayStation or Xbox in that you're in the cockpit all the time, you can see um, you can see the diagnostics. It's unbelievable just how and the, the th- so here's the, the thing that, that convinced me as I started watching races, I was going to keep watching them, was it ticked all the boxes that I need for my other sports, other than mm-hmm. baseball, football, and basketball, is most of the stuff happens in Europe, so the races are first thing in the morning. I'm up. So great, There's right? nothing else to watch. I'm going to watch that. Yeah. Um, nine o'clock to, like, it, it finish, it's like starts around nine and it's over just as the NFL pregame shows yep. are, are logging on. Uh, the races are time limited, so it can't go long. They will they will start yeah. lopping laps off of it if so yeah. you don't have to worry about that. One of the things that it took me a, a few races to figure out, I'm not the smartest guy, was that they, never, they don't refuel. So yeah. they, they try to put the least amount of fuel possible in the car, because they were trying to keep it as light as possible, to run those laps. Yeah, and whatever, there are times when, they, yeah. yeah, if there's a rain, if there's a weather thing, or there's a number of safety cars, there are times when some of the cars are like, "Uh oh, <laughs> do, we don't yeah. know if we have enough fuel to finish." Yeah. Um, so the and the pit stops are ridiculous. I mean, you know, they pull in now. Then obviously they're not refueling because they don't have to, but they will change all four tires in in like two point seven seconds. Yeah. And after you watch a few races, you life. can tell when a like, oh, that went a little long, and it's like three point two seconds. Mm-hmm. You can yeah, tell the difference yeah. between a 2.7 second and a 3.2. Um, so, you know, you basically, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like soccer, where you know how much time you're going to invest today in this. Uh, it's not going to run long. Um, you're going to get to see everything. There's all kinds of cool stuff. Um, you're going to get to hear the drivers talk to the people in the pits, and sometimes that stuff is really good and really interesting. So juicy, yeah. Especially when Ferrari is involved. and uh... Well, I was going to say, it also <laughs> has sort of what we've been talking about with the Bears, in that, like, the teams are almost personalities onto themselves, where you know that, like, Ferrari has the, uh, is, like, by far the most, uh, you know, the richest, most followed, most popular uh uh, of the of the teams on the grid, they're the most resourced. Their cars are amazing, um, and yet th- their drivers are fantastic. Yep. But you know that they were are good for stepping on a rake, 
<laughs> and like a perfect uh, in a situation that is grooved for them to succeed. So like all of last year was uh, supposed to be a championship race between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc uh, because Red Bull had uh, sort of like a it, all season long, it seemed like Red Bull's advantage was in uh, cornering speed and Ferrari's advantage was in straight ahead speed. And so they were relatively uh, even on the cards. But strategically, Ferrari would just make boner after boner yep. after boner and sabotage Leclerc, who is a legitimately good driver, but also has a tendency to get into his own head. So now, like, he will compound their errors by because he thinks something bad is going to happen. And all of that just, like, makes it that much easier for Max to just, like, run away with a race. And so you also have, like, if you know, like, for me, you know, last year you sort of, uh, like, I'm a Mercedes guy because of Lewis, and you sort of know that, like, all right, they're not in this race, but, like, at least I can watch and see like how Ferrari is going to mess up a race that they obviously <laughs> yep. should win. So good. It's I mean, so good. And they, to give them credit, they screwed up in multiple different ways. It's not like they, they didn't make the same mistake. They invented new mistakes. And last year, their principal oh, so was a guy named Matteo Bonato, who looks like an oh. uh, Italian grown-up Harry Potter. Yes. Yeah. And uh, he's no longer the principal. It is now yeah. Fred Vasseur. Um, yeah. But they had they had a race where they had their two drivers, uh, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, running um, running second and third when there was a safety car. And the traditional thing is you leave one of them on the track with their existing tires to hold position. You send somebody else into the pit. They didn't pit either one of them, and they didn't finish second and third. They finished third and fourth. In Monaco, they're chasing like Checo Perez has the lead. He's just clinging to it for dear life. And they pitted both of them at the same time. And now you might think, why is that a problem? The problem is every team only has one pit. You can't have two cars in the same pit. And so Carlos goes into pit, and they're yelling, box, box, box. And the guy who's supposed to not be telling Charles to box, box, box says it. Charles starts to pull in, sees that Carlos is there, (laughs) just starts swearing, because now they're completely screwed. And yeah. but they and they just, and they just kept doing it. They to the point where for the second half of the season, Carlos was making his own strategic decisions in the car. And one of the yeah. one of the things that cracked me up, especially late in the season, is a lot of times these teams will have like multiple strategies planned. I mean, the analytics people have run this. Uh, they race would love the sport a thousand they would love times. They have every variable, and so they'll go in like, okay, we have plan A, B, and C. And there would be times when Ferrari would be. They get on the and they they and they, it's like they were asking the drivers like. How do you feel about uh, Plan Y? <laughs> yeah, and the yeah. announcer's like, well, how, "How far down on the list yeah. are they? What, how is this possible?" Yeah, so Ferrari had built a car that um, was beautiful car. Yeah, was super fast, and I, I don't know, I can't remember how many poles Leclerc got. He had the most. It was eight or nine, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, the problem was once they, it was great running the, uh, you know the. 12 or 13 laps total that you run in the three parts of qualifying. But then it would, by lap 15 in the real race, it would have shredded its tires. <laughs> so they were, yeah. and they were, that's the thing they screwed up more than anything was their tire strategy. Yeah. Um, you have to pit once a race, no matter what. So you have to change tires at least once. But there are some 
uh, you know, it's like, was this going to be a one-stop or a two-stop? Some tracks are three stops, and Ferrari would get the tires wrong. That's one of the things they did to Leclerc was they Always. sent him out on. Um, so there's. Why don't there's, you start on hards, even though we have the fastest car here, right. and then you know, like midway through the race, we'll put you on intermediates. It's like no, we have and the like, not touch any of the soft tires that we have until like, oh crap, do you want to come in now for soft tires? Like. No, uh, I'm eighth now, and this race for me is over. <laughs> it's just like super boneheaded stuff. So here's a question I want to ask you about the tires. Because when you watch the beginning of the broadcast, they will show you what the three tire selections are for yes. the day. And those are, they vary from track to track. But it's the same, like, six or seven kinds of tires, right? It's just yes. on yeah. one track, this might be considered the soft but on right. another track, yeah. it might be the the medium or whatever the intermediate, yes. whatever they call it. Yeah. Okay. That was the thing I was always the the thing about watching it on TV is they do a nice balance of the you're the hardcore F1 guy who knows all this shit and I don't need to explain it to you while explaining just right. enough of the other stuff so that the guys like me after a while can kind of figure it out and they can very confidently sit there and go, well, I know what they're talking about. I know what that is. I, I think I know the where best... the DR, I know where the DRS zones are on this track. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the best thing that ESPN did was concede that Sky Sports probably knows the sport better than they do and just let them avail their airtime to them to present it to American audiences cuz I feel like they could have totally messed it up by trying to and they have messed it up in the past by staffing it and sort of calling it in the american style of like yeah, it's a you know here's you know oh they're going to a this is like a cover two situation that they're yeah. trying to do with this uh you know with this pit strategy or so, you know like uh so the fact that they 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 accept that this is a european sport uh is great and what i love about it is that there is none of the uh, reverence on the part of the announcers that if they see some wacky stuff happening, they'll just call it out. Like, this isn't, the, you know, in the same way that, like, you know, Snoop does at celebrity boxing matches. Like, there's no filter as far as, like, what the fuck is Ferrari doing? You know, like, they won't swear, but they'll be like, what the hell is happening? Um, and I think that adds to the... The fun of it where you feel like okay like these people on tv aren't lying to me yeah. <laughs> you know they're not telling me that this great this race is like better or worse than i think it is i i don't know this but i feel like when nbc got the premier league rights and basically just they didn't try to americanize it at all they didn't bring in american yeah. soccer experts i mean you get you get tim howard but that's as close as you get and he played in the premier league long enough that it's not like right just yeah MLS superstar to do this and you know and you can watch all the matches so you get used to hearing all the all the British voices or whatever and that's just yeah. that feels like the Premier League and it's almost like I know that ESPN did it for I think that made it like more easier for them to just take the Sky Sports thing and just rebroadcast it and not have people go what the hell is this why are we watching this yeah. um, but I think they also did it because up until this year they they had those rights super cheap they got yeah, it for yeah, almost yeah. nothing um, Zero, yeah. When when Liberty Media bought um, 
bought F1, basically. Yeah. Their whole thing was, we just got to get these on in America. And yeah, people here, just we'll have to see people. this thing. It, they literally, ESPN paid like a million and a half or some ridiculous thing yeah, a year. Now they're paying like so 50 cheap. because people are actually yeah. watching it. Um, but yeah, now you, I don't, you couldn't go back. They couldn't switch it now because we're used to seeing yeah, that yeah. coverage. That's what we want. We're, we would riot if they did it uh, the other way. Um, so I'm glad you talked about the glad you talked about the announcers because one of the things that happens almost every race, uh, depending if he's calling it or not, is at, at some it's it's can't miss TV and the most uncomfortable like 15 minutes of live TV is when Martin Brundle does the walk he. He does his race walk. Love it. He walks Love up it. the he walks up and down like the main straightaway the where all the celebrities yeah. are still like hanging out and he's just randomly grabbing people and interviewing them. It's so great. And it's he so doesn't great. know who half of them are, which is just great. It's so awesome. The the potential for him to say something horrible or to talk to the wrong person is always there and it played itself out perfectly at the first ever race in Miami when he went up to a very tall obvious athlete oh yeah yeah and he started interviewing patrick mahomes the problem was it was uh paulo benchero it was not yeah <laughs> it wasn't patrick yeah. mahomes and it's like okay yeah. martin i know i know you're not tall and i know you think football players are tall but that dude is seven feet tall he's not an nfl quarterback but some, but that's not even the most like uncomfortable. The, to me, the most uncomfortable thing is Martin will just kind of desperately start grabbing people when he doesn't have anybody to talk to. But then, either in his ear or he'll see somebody. There's somebody better, and he's got to yeah. ditch the person he's interviewing and go talk to them. And sometimes he's pretty good at it, and sometimes he's basically just like, "Okay, I got to go talk to somebody better," and he just wanders off and goes and talks to them. So I love that. I also always watch the 30-minute wrap-up that Ted Kravitz does that they show on ESPN Plus, where he goes through. That's great. He runs through. He walks. He walks down the garage as they're putting everything away. They're packing up to go to the next race, and Ted is liable to say anything too, which is great. Yeah, it just makes for. Ted said uh, Lewis got robbed. It was hugely controversial. Red Bull wouldn't talk to him for a while after that. But the fact that he's like. He got jobbed, and I'm going to say it, and it is what it is. It just, again, speaks to the editorial freedom that those guys have. I mean, can you imagine? uh, I almost said Joe Buck, and I know that's the wrong guy to imagine. But like, I don't know what's what's the name a name a controversy. You know, if like somebody was like, ah, well, they shouldn't have made that pass interference call in the Super Bowl in the middle. Like some sideline reporter said that in the middle of the broadcast. Uh, they'd be like, well, good luck getting into the winning <laughs> locker room, yep. loser. Uh, but at F1, it is sort of accepted that, you know, these these disagreements will happen. There'll be a frosty period, but then they'll just go right back to business as usual. So, Yeah, and the amount of credibility that it gives you to the audience is worth the – those the F1 teams, It's they're basically huge marketing organizations on top of race organizations – they can't shut out Sky Sports. They can do yeah. it as a show of defiance. It can't last because they need them. Yeah. They're not going to do it. So Ted knows he can say something, yeah. and it might be a week or two before he can grab, you know, Christian Horner and talk to him for, you know, eight minutes, at, you know, in the post-race stuff. But it's not going to last because they got there's yeah. red there's Red Bull to sell. Yeah, they got to sell energy drink. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they're, they're, it's not going to last. You can say what the hell you want as long as you're right. Yeah. Um, 
So this year, the, the Red Bulls controversy last year is they had to have another one. Um, well, actually, two things. Happened. One was not a controversy. One was, you know, the great moment in every, you know, racing season is the driver drives across the finish line and he secured the championship and the announcer goes nuts and then the principal, in this case, the principal gets on the horn and says, Max Verstappen, you are world champion. And last year it happened in Japan and nobody knew that he won. Yeah. And it, you know, complicated thing about, um, I guess there was a race that I missed like two years ago where uh, they, they ran like four laps and then it rained too hard. They couldn't finish and they awarded full race points to everybody. So you basically got your points for how you qualified because nobody could pass because yep. nobody could drive around. They came up with a complicated formula based on how many laps you finished you would ex- you get this percentage of the points, and so it was raining in um, in Japan, actually to the point where that was where Pierre Gasly almost ran into the like there was tractor, a wreck, yeah. and there was a yeah there was a tractor out on the course picking up at Pierre, ignoring the fact that his on the replay his dashboard is flashing red, and he's still going 180 miles an hour and almost ran into yeah. it, and then uh, freaked out on the radio. Um. They, so they shortened the race, and everybody's doing their little mental calculations, like, oh, Max is going to win, but he's going to come up one point short. So it's going to be next week in Austin where he's going to win the championship. The The interesting thing was the feed that we saw, even though the Sky announcers were talking about how oh, Max just barely missed it, they put the standings up, they put the points up, and he had enough points. And Crofty, the, I can't remember his first name. Yes. David Croft. David Croft. Uh, that, yeah. that doesn't sound right. Yeah, not that doesn't sound right either. Um, yeah, no, yeah, sorry. Anyway, he's really good. But he's kind of like, well, he's don't pay any attention to that. Um, ah, David Ma- Croft, I got it. Max is being Max is being uh, interviewed on the like on the tarmac or whatever they call it, and by Park uh, Ferme. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and I love chicanes. There's I love, there's European terms that I just oh, love. That's great. Like, oh, so many chicane? great words. Oh, it's just like a little curve in the road. That's what the yeah, chicane curly cue. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's getting interviewed by David Cothard, Is that how you say his name? Who then Cothard, tells him that he yes. won the championship, and Max is like, "No, I don't think I did." <laughs> and he's like, "Yes, yes, you did." He's like, "Oh, the most anticlimactic finish to a season ever." And yes, he actually did win it. Um, yeah. And but coming down to the stretch last year, F1 in an effort to um, try to e- e- level the playing field because there are three like elite teams. There is Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes, mm-hmm. and then there is a big gap. And then there's like the mid-tier teams, yeah, like McLaren and Alpine, and then there's Williams. <laughs> yes, Williams. Uh, yeah, toward the back you've got Aston Martin. Uh, probably behind Alpine now and uh, all the way at the back is Haas so Williams Haas I'm forgetting somebody else um, oh and and, and uh, Alpha Tauri which yeah. is uh, which Red Bull uh, owns and wants to sell Red Bull support team yeah, yeah. and um, Alpha Romeo so those two guys yeah. so they put this Ferraris. they put what they call a spending cap in and for American sports fans we know salary caps are bad <laughs> yeah. that's old that's old hat for and us and we all yeah. want our team to just completely ignore the salary caps. Like, fuck it. Who cares? It's yeah. You're a billionaire. Yeah. Spend whatever you want. Pay well, the luxury. Debt. Yeah, Steinbrenner it up. Yeah. Yeah. 
So F1 put this spending cap in, and it sounds like this huge accounting nightmare where you have to put everything into a spreadsheet, and you have to turn in your receipts, and you have to prove what you did this, and you spent this much on the wind tunnel, and you spent this much on this. And you, it even down to the point where they were figuring out that the catering for the like the crew, that was going to count. So they were trying to figure this yeah. stuff out. So uh, they everybody turns their stuff in, and two teams went over. Aston Martin went over by a little bit, and nobody cared because they're Aston Martin. And uh, Red Bull went over by more than a little bit. And they were running away with the championship in this brand new era. It's they completely, everybody had to completely, I don't even know how it works. They like give you like the basic specs of what the car is, the new car. And then you get to yeah. tinker with it. And Red Bull yeah, throws out this super brand. dominant yeah. car. And then they realize well, they went over by like $6 million. Yeah. And uh, so everybody's throwing a fit. And Red Bull's like, no, we didn't go over it. You guys, you, you're crunching the numbers wrong. Then there was even this ridiculous thing about how, well, there was a tax credit that they could have applied for, but they filled the forms out wrong, and they didn't get the tax credit. And that would have barely put them on. It's like, I don't need to hear all this complicated shit. But basically what it turned out was the FIA said, yes, you guys went over. And their penalty was they gave them, they, didn't take, they could have taken points away from them. They could have done all kinds of stuff. And they didn't do any of that. They gave them an $8 million fine, which... Mr. Red Bull dug around in the cushions of, the, yeah. of his couch and found the $8 million and paid it. Yeah. And then they gave their other one was they gave them a 10% reduction on the amount of wind tunnel testing that they can do for this season. And that was it. That's all they did. So dumb. So dumb. Now, and Red Bull was like, oh, but the, you don't understand. That's a horrible penalty because the way they do, the way they give you the amount of time you can spend in a wind tunnel is an inverse of. Uh, or it's the opposite of the standing. So the champion team already has the least amount of development time in the wind tunnel. And now we're going to lose 10% of that. And some of the other principals are like, they already built the car. It's going to be the same car until 2026. So all the right. shit they already did to it, they're already they're that much farther ahead of us right now. And we're not going to be able to catch up to that in one year anyway. And yeah. so they were they're doing their testing in Bahrain last week. And surprise, surprise, Red Bull's car much faster than everybody else's <laughs> to the point where the BBC podcast I was listening to, they got to the end and they were going to do their season predictions and they all went, there's no reason, there's no need to do it. Yeah, Max cool. is going to win the yeah. championship and Red Bull is going to win the constructors championship. It's just yeah. all the other stuff. Um, the one thing they did say was um, they think Mercedes car somehow was worse than last year, which yeah, didn't they're either sandbagging or it's yeah. worth. Yeah. Um, the one thing everybody had to do was everybody had to raise the floor of their car by 15 millimeters. But yes. the reason for that was the car last year. Um, one of the advantages Red Bull had was they they in, they developed. You can correct me when I'm wrong about this stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A flexible floor where the others had a hard one. And so, like, if you're Lewis Hamilton and you're Mercedes, they're trying to keep the car as close to the road as possible to get it, give it extra downforce so they can go faster and corner better. And you have this, and your car, as you're driving, is, they call it, they give it an adorable name. They call it porpoising. Porpoise, because you're yeah, going so up and down like a dolphin coming out of the water. Except you're yeah. trying to drive, you know, 180 miles an hour, and it's slamming you into the road over and over and over again to the point where one of the races he could barely get out of the car. Like, yeah. they had to help him out of the car because he'd screwed up his back so bad in it. And meanwhile, the Red Bull car is just, like, <laughs> it's just like gently rolling over the thing, going faster yeah. than your car. 
Um, there's a great scene, and I haven't watched the whole thing, but in the one of the first episodes of Driver Survive for this year, where they have a uh, principal's meeting. And Toto is basically saying, they, and I know Mercedes was pushing for them to completely change the rule. They were going to force everybody to raise the height of the car. And he's, and he's in his, you know, his Teutonic accent. He's, you know, screaming and throwing his fit. And uh, Christian Horner is sitting there, and he's like, you know, well, fix your fucking car. It's just, beca- it's not our problem that you have a shitty car. And Toto's like, it's like, well, you should fix your fucking car too. Checo says your car is a piece of shit. And what I wanted, <laughs> wanted Christian to go, how come Max wins every race in it then, if our car is such a piece of shit? But anyway, yeah. so they had this little spat, and they did change the regular, but only for, they made some change in the second half of the season, a minor one. And this year they it raised, was, the, they forced them to I raise the th- car a little bit. They forced everybody to raise up, and it had no material. So, like, Mercedes had less porpoising. It's really like a Lewis problem with the way that he likes to run his, uh, the raking of the car, I guess, like the angle at which the the car sort of uh, raises up from the nose, from nose to tail. And uh, the, the new regulations suit like the way that Max likes his car to be raked more so than Lewis's, which is why he's trying to like adapt to this, you know, basically to like race in that style. And because of that, his car is, is bounce was bouncing up and down more than everybody else's. But, um, but yeah, the whole, the thing, one detail that you missed about the Red Bulls overspending is that, not even a quarter of the way through the season, Christian uh, uh, was like, "Man, I don't know. If, I don't know if the salary cap's high enough. Like, we're already pretty much about to hit it now." <laughs> and uh, and Otmar Snaffauer, who is the uh, manager at uh, Aston Martin, was like, "Not Aston Martin. He's at Alpine. At, uh, yes, Aston Martin. Alpine now. Yes." Um, was like, no, we all did the math, and like, yeah. it's enough money. Yep. <laughs> You're just spending more of it. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, there's no, it is. I used to think the NBA was soap opera for dudes, uh, but it's clearly Formula One. Yeah. Like, there's so much uh, passive aggressiveness, aggressive aggressiveness, uh, petty squabbling. Uh, finger pointing and drive to survive just brings all that out. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's stuff we wouldn't see. There's a whole episode in this season about Otmar and um, who, when they, when you first like hear his name and you think, where's this guy from? Well, he went to Wayne yeah. state and he yeah. talks yeah, he with sounds un- like completely it's... unaccented English. He just looks like, yeah. he looks like a substitute science teacher, just like the t- yeah. most affable, nice guy. There's a whole episode about him about how he 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 went from Alfa Romeo. Basically, he left he left uh, Alfa Romeo because um, he got run off by Lance Stroll's dad. Yeah. No, Aston Martin, not Alfa yeah. Romeo. Aston Martin by Lance yeah, Stroll's Martin, dad. Yeah. So there's one of the drivers, Lance Stroll. His father, Lawrence, uh, has a lot of money and bought into a team, and basically said, "My kid gets to drive for the team." Now, that's not the first time it's happened, and Lance is actually pretty good. There have been other guys who've gotten F1 seats for no reason. Of course, Lance uh, missed testing because he fell off his bike 
may have may or may not have broken his wrist. And so he may be yeah. driving on Sunday with his wrist tied to the wheel. That'll be great. Yeah. Um, and so Otmar went to Alpine, which used to be Renault, which the car was much cooler looking when they were Renault. I like the black and the gold much better than the weird pink that they've got. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. a layo- That's a holdover from that Indian team from right Force of India. Right? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Force pink. India. Yeah. yeah, we can get rid of that. But anyway, so Otmar makes Alpine just drastic improvements. They've got they've got one of the best drivers ever, Fernando Alonso, although a guy who um, I like. I like him a lot. I like him too. He's, he's, cool. he's a prick to everybody, which is very enjoyable. Um, and about ha- about halfway through this episode, he, he's bragging about his driver lineup. And he's like, we're set. This is great. We've got Fernando Alonso, we've got Esteban Ocon, and then our reserve driver is this kid named Oscar Piastri, who everybody thinks is going to be a champion someday. Hence, they quickly go to a montage of like Christian Horner, you know, lamenting that Red Bull could have hired, or could have, you know, basically could have bought Oscar when he was even younger, and he would be in their stable. Yeah. They let him go, and they're going on and on and on. And then the way they edit it then is um, they go on their little summer break. They come back. The first thing you hear from summer break is Sebastian Vettel, who's the driver at um, Aston Martin, has announced he's retiring. And then there's you see Otmar chasing Fernando around basically with a contract, going, "Don't forget, we need to sign you for the your contract's up, and we got to sign you in two years." And then the next thing that comes out is Fernando Alonso announcing he's leaving Alpine and he's going to Aston Martin. And then they're like, "Okay, fine, we'll just make Oscar Piastri. He's he'll just be in our lineup next year." So they send out a tweet, and then Oscar tweets, "I don't have a contract with them. I'm not going to race with them next year." And oh, sorry, in the middle of this, um, McLaren dumps Danny Ricardo which opens the spot. They swoop in and they they sign Oscar Piastri. Otmar threatens to sue them. You're going to sue Oscar for five yes. for the amount of money they put into him to develop him because he went and signed a contract with another team. Right. And they knowing McLaren's going to have to pay the money because the poor kid can't pay $5 million. He makes pretty good money as a reserve driver. He doesn't have $5 million to pay. Doesn't have that. But I think it all falls apart around <laughs> around Otmar in, a, in like 30 minutes in this thing. Yeah, uh, but then yeah. he saved. He he pulled it out. He signed my favorite driver, Pierre Gasly. So he'll be so now they're a completely French team. Alpine's a French team. Esteban Ocon is a French driver. Pierre is a French driver. Those two guys hate each other and have hated each other since they were little kids. And now they're going to be teammates. They were so both the best drivers in France. Yeah, so uh, that's good. So that's going to and be have fun. been going for that title uh, their entire lives. Yeah. But a question that I want to ask you because I. Why is McLaren... and Gasly's a better driver statistically, but Ocon is the more senior member of that team. Yeah. So that's actually going to be like super duper interesting. Why is McLaren not one of the? Why isn't it a big four? Why is it a big three? Because it feels like they have they have a shitload of money. They've yeah. got good drivers, and but they're not. They are. There is a definite gap uh, between the two, and. They have the coolest looking car, I think. They have I the best that. like color uh, scheme with the cool orange. I love that, and that the... papaya orange. Yeah. yeah. Um, gosh, why does McLaren suck? That's a difficult. That's a difficult. Uh, Isn't their American boss Zach Brown? It is. It is a little bit of a Zach Brown problem, and I, Zach Brown, being an American, is has been very savvy about like. Uh, you know, being like the um, the coach, the sort of pulling the the Danny Ainge like moves of like uh, not Ainge, who's who's a better the the Pat Riley move of like I'm 
I'm the team president, uh, general manager, uh, coach. But whenever I do either the coach or general manager job poorly, I can just take cover mm -hmm. by still being uh, the senior most uh, like uh, sports executive and then just like dump the blame on somebody else who's supposed to be in charge of that. Or, like whoever is really running that department while I'm figureheading it. So it is interesting that he hasn't gotten a lot of criticism about how underdeveloped the car has been because he does have a driver who's like really, really good. Um, and, uh, but he, but throughout that, he's been able to sort of like dump, he's been able to like when, when uh, their, 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 uh, their development was really, really bad when he came on and he scored the big coup of signing Alonzo to begin with. And then when he couldn't improve the car fast enough, it was like, well, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of the car, but it's, you know, the like, uh, Fernando's lost his, uh, you know, has lost his edge. So, you know, like, we'll just, we'll just like part ways and it'll, it'll be fine. Um, it'll be fine because we'll sign, uh, uh, you know, this like awesome, uh, cool, uh, Australian guy who was winning races with Red Bull and, uh, and then like, Danny Rick just never really got comfortable behind that car. And to me, that is so mystifying because I felt like Daniel Ricciardo was certainly like good enough to win a championship in Formula One and thought he, you know, was the senior Red Bull driver uh, when Max was elevated. And I thought, you know, that he would like win for a while and then like he and Max would be fighting for championships and then he just totally like they whatever they did to crush his confidence like he never yeah. really re recovered from and even though he had his successes here and there it just never I don't know I don't know I don't know what what happened there but anyway last year it was like oh well you know uh Lando Norris is is overperforming in the car so we know he's good we're gonna give him like a a giant deal because he's he's clearly the franchise uh and not uh and meanwhile like danny's really struggling in the car oh we'll get better we'll get better no actually like he sucks so we're gonna dump him so now it's now you've got your two young guns of like norris and piastri and so i feel like this year there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on on mclaren being like you know you have two easily two of the best young drivers in this you know in racing like why to your point like why like why is the car the car's development stagnating and they might say well, like well you know because of where we've fallen in the constructors championship in in years past like we just don't have the money to throw at the problem that mercedes can throw at the problem like we're, we're still sort of overcoming the uh the sort of uh the 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 legacy of uh of the, like the financial setup of the sport and so it's going to take us a while you know, we may not have like a car to offer them in twenty twenty six until twenty twenty six, which is why we're going with young talent versus you know sort of holding older drivers hostage. Yeah. But I do think there is a lot of like sort of uh, you know NFL style, NBA style, like general managership <laughs> happening with uh, with Zach uh, over there. Yeah, yeah. The the Daniel Ricardo thing was really odd. You know, he went from it made it made sense when he left Red Bull. He went to Renault. And he left yeah. because it was clear 
Like Max was getting everything. Right. So Max he had was going to be the number one driver, and the number two driver's the, it, role basically is to support the number one driver and to try to win the race if the number one driver's car cra- crashes. Yeah. <laughs> to be the fullback. To be the blocking fullback. Yeah. Right. To be the blocking fullback right. who catches passes occasionally. Yes. Which yeah. Checo did in that final race last year. He he's he brought Lewis back um, into the back closer to Max before all that other crap happened. That basically was his job. So he yeah. goes to Renault, and he has success at Renault. He won races at Renault. Yeah. And everybody was shocked when he jumped to, I'm sure he went to McLaren, because McLaren threw a huge bag of cash at him. But yeah. last year, he was finishing, like, 17th and 18th. It was, just, it was like he wasn't even, you know. While Lando was consistently, you know, 4-5, and if there was drama at the sharp end of the grid, like, he, he was in podium position. Yeah. And... Danny was just like never there. Like their pace was like so wild. There's the gaps between their paces is just like was just wild. Even a qualifying pace, like you know, uh, uh, Danny would be struggle to get into the into like the next session, and uh, Lando would get there comfortably. And I'm just like, what? What is happening with these two guys? So yeah, that's to me. It's just a mystery. I. It seems like, um, it seems like that team should be more competitive than they are, and yeah. maybe they could save some money if they if they didn't pay Zach Brown. Um, the quasi American, the quasi American team for people who feel like they have to have an American team to root for would be Haas. It's owned by owned Italian by Italian American, yeah, right. But it's owned by Gene Haas, who, yeah. if you've ever been in a, uh, and I live in Rockford, Illinois, so there's. Um, machine shops everywhere if you've ever been in one there's Haas machines in every single yeah. one of them that's what he does all those, he all those CNC yeah. uh, machines that, that's all him yeah and they their principal Gunther Steiner not only talks like a Muppet it's the weirdest voice mm-hmm. ever yeah. but he's liable to say anything it's usually the wrong most insensitive thing possible at the time so he's yeah. he's worth the price of admission just for that um they have the unusual, I think, right? They have the unusual circumstance of both of their drivers this year are guys they have fired. Yeah. Kevin Magnuson and Nico Hulkenberg are mm-hmm. back after both being told, you're not good yeah. enough, you're gone. And then it's like, would you please yeah. come back? Because we can't pay we can't pay top driver money. and um, Which is why they went young and fired them. Yeah. And uh, then, but then their young guys crapped out. And then I was like... And well, not only did their young guys crap out, but Hulkenberg uh, came in for um, Nikita Massapin, who might be my most hated driver oh, yeah, ever. The, for, right. They had to. Uh, they basically had to fire a driver because he was Russian, and the Russian, yeah. Russia, Russia invaded Ukraine, and they. Said, yeah. All right, yeah. 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 That's pretty Nikita, much how it's you right. got to go. Yeah. And then there used to be a race at Sochi, and that race is no more because of that. They're yeah. not going to race in Russia. But then Nico got in the same car and wildly overperformed in it. And they were like, wait a minute. Uh, maybe this car is better than we thought it was. And uh, perhaps, you know, like uh, our our technical uh, our technical savvy would be better served by having uh, actual human sensors who could uh, tell us when we're going in the right direction. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's like, so they, they found a value in, 
they found a new market in guys who have been fired from F1 and desperately want back. Right. <laughs> That's the new the new market inefficiency is yeah. hire guys who've been fired. Yeah, because their second driver last year was supposed to be their first driver last year. Because I don't Kevin Magnussen wasn't supposed to be their number one, but he no. was. No. Uh, was Mick Schumacher, the son of Michael Schumacher, one of the all-time greats. And there is a painful Drive to Survive episode this year. I heard, yeah. Just detailing all of his struggles, and you can literally see his confidence go away, and you can see, you know, he he wrecks during, um, you know, they basically do the push-push thing they tell him during qualifying, and he... The minute he hits the accelerator, he spins and he completely destroys the car. And then you get to hear Gunther yeah. call Gene and beg for a million dollars to fix the car. And it's just, yeah, it just it did not. And go Gunther well. certainly does his part to chip away at. Uh, yes, I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine a worse guy at, to have with young drivers. Than yeah, him. at uh, at the uh, at the young Schumacher's uh, yeah. confidence. Um, who, by all accounts, is a is a wonderful guy and uh, and legitimately talented. Yeah, so. and he's so he's gonna he's a reserve driver at Mercedes this year. Danny Ricardo is a reserve driver for Red Bull, um, which I'm sure at no point this year if Checo struggles will create any drama at all. This Not at all. Yeah, the fact that he's standing there in the background, you know, waiting to do something. Again, fire drivers. Uh, it's the new market efficiency. Well, Danny, Danny's got a future in this in the show. They. Gunther gets asked when he's clear that Mick is not going to make it if they'll get Danny Ricardo, and he's like, we're going to want $10 million. We can't afford that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I guess they're not going to get him. Yeah, that's, uh, my agent won't be calling you guys. Uh, um, but you forgot about the, the most exciting uh, I was going to say, there's one more story, American story connection. Line. Yeah, Logan Sargent, man, starting uh, with the second Williams driver this year. And uh, from everything I've heard is really good and um, you know could be the first American since Michael Andretti to score F1 points Michael Andretti son of Mario who had who left his uh, successful uh, American open wheel racing career in the mid 90s to to race one season in F1 and hated it so much that he got out of there the first opportunity that he could but he won- didn't he win uh, Monaco no, he didn't win anything. Oh, he didn't win anything. I thought he. Won. I thought he had one um, win. I thought he won Monaco. Okay, I made that up. No, I don't think anyone. I don't think anybody's won any American. Certainly, no American has won a championship since Mario. I want to say no Americans won a race since Mario either. Um, but anyway, Logan is really well positioned because Williams is the feeder team for. Mercedes and the last few go rounds, Mercedes has elevated drivers from Williams to be Lewis's number two. And the last driver, George Russell, is a guy they they think will be the future number one because Lewis, you know, maybe has a couple more seasons left in him. So if Logan really performs, you know, over overachieves Ed Williams as drivers can do there he is a chance to be go from the very back of the grid to uh the very front uh racing with george russell in two or three years yeah. which well, would george, be george certainly amazing did because williams had fallen on basically out of the base they're barely competitive yeah and um and he hops in his mercedes and he 
he out qualified Lewis a handful of times, and he out finished yeah. him quite a few times. The doe-eyed uh, George Russell. It looks yes. literally like if you put a racing helmet on Bambi, that's where yeah. he would look yeah. just like George Russell. It's almost to the point where it's like, are you wearing fake eyelashes, George? I mean, yes. Yeah. And he's a he's a real he's a sizable guy, you know. Yeah. Like he could he could be an NBA uh, combo guard. Like he's he's got some real height to him. Yep. Um. Yeah. So I guess one of my questions is um, with Nicholas Latifi not around, who who gets to finish last every race? <laughs> oh man. Like, I mean, it should be it should be Logan, week. but I don't want to I don't want to do that to him. I mean, he's going to have a steep learning curve, but. Uh, I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be the, I mean, it's for as great as like, for as solid as the Haas drivers are, um, it's, you know, like you can't, you can't depend on, I feel like the, the, the skill of the drivers is more dependable than the actual, uh, technical proficiency of the car. Yeah. Like at some point the car will let them down. Um, but yeah, I would say between those two guys and uh, the Albon, uh, Alex Albon, um, uh, Logan, Logan Sargent combination. That's those are probably the that's probably the race for the bottom right there. Just because of the cars, nothing, nothing personal, guys. I I, I love all of you guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll be it all starts uh, on Sunday in Bahrain. Yeah. There are three American races this year. Uh, they have Miami, oh which they have that weird track actually at Pro Player Stadium <laughs> with the yachts parked I was, on fake water. I was there last year. It's so surreal, but it actually totally works. And then Austin, which has had a race for quite a while. And then the newest one is yeah. in Las Vegas, where the it's a road course, and it will part of it goes down the strip. So it's going to yeah. look cool, if nothing else. It's going to look really great. Yeah. Um, and then there's a race in Canada. There's a race in Mexico, and there's a race in Brazil. So those are your Western Hemisphere things that happen at like noon or one. The rest yeah. of the stuff yeah, yeah. Um, it happens, you know, on my perfect schedule, first thing in the morning yeah. to watch it. Except for like Singapore, which happens in the middle of the night. So I'm like, right, screw yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I record that one, and I just watch it whenever I get up. But, or uh, Melbourne or something like that. Yeah. But that is the yeah, good thing Australia. about it. You can pick up this sport as something you want to follow, and it doesn't have to get in the way. You don't have to give up anything else. You don't have to pay less attention to your kids or to the Cubs or whatever. It's F1 right. is just there for you. Um, all right. Well, I'm glad to have somebody on to confirm some of the things that I thought I knew and to uh, set me straight on some of the things that I didn't. Yeah, man, no, it's always I'm always here for you. You know, if you want to if you want to get uh you know, if you want to whether it's to commiserate about the bears yep. or oh, we got to, it all done uh, today. It was a big therapy. To, to check in about uh, you know, the uh Ferrari's latest uh dramas, uh melodramas on track. Like, yeah, let's do it. Oh, and there'll still be some. I know they're like, well, you know, uh, uh Matteo was a engineer, so he was kind of 
oddly cast as the principal and the strategy guys could argue in the background and they could get mass confusion. Fred is a ra- is you know Fred's a racer. He knows. It's like no, it's Ferrari. No, nope, it's still, still gonna be, be it's still gonna be an issue. In That's... fact, the engineer was probably the best guy. Yeah. Uh, to be in charge because he had the most even temperament. And uh, yeah, now we got the race guy who's going to be uh, gambling all over the place and uh, and costing them wins. So yeah, just make it interesting. That's all I ask. I can't do another season of like Max winning everything. Yep, because that's basically what I mean. And it didn't matter where he started. There was a race he yeah. started 11th and he won. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. are races on the circuit where if you don't start in the front row, you're you're almost certainly not going to win. And then there's other right. If you there. miss the first turn, uh, <laughs> you will you're guaranteed to lose. So they in had him where it's like they took a so if you do, it, you have X amount of upgrades you can do, and then beyond that, you have to actually play. You have to pay a penalty. They either drop you X amount of spots or you start at the back. I guess it depends on when you do the upgrade. Sometimes, like if somebody wrecks in qualifying, and they're going to have to do massive overhaul to their car overnight to get it ready. They're going to start at the back. They're going to be hanging yeah. out with last year. They got to line up next to Nicholas Latifi. Um, and so Red Bull just took, took a penalty one time and figured, eh, Max will probably finish third or fourth. Yeah. Yeah. And he won. So yeah, yeah we don't need another season of that. It's, you know, the best part of that race was when, um, <laughs> When Tata Wolf was like, yeah, you know, I told my guys, he probably, I told my guys to be alert to him and that he would probably get into the lead by lap five. And sure <laughs> enough, he was like one or two laps off. But like, that is just how good that car is. Yeah. Uh, that thought- how good they've got that I thought there was a sign last year of how Mercedes was struggling that there were a couple of races where Toto just didn't come. Yeah. It's like, no, he's taking the week off. It's like, wait a minute, what? There's only 23 races. Or 22 last year, 23 now. And he's like, no, I'm going to have to take a couple of weeks off. All right. He's like, basically, we can finish. We're going to finish fifth and sixth. And they can do that whether I'm in Germany or here at the track. So they can. Yeah. 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 Um, Oh, Toto's wife. Uh, Susie, yeah, she's just got a big job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's really good. I mean, she should have been... I mean, she's she's good enough to be driving now, um, I think. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, they're, they're a fun family. Yeah. I think there's, like, a Drive to Survive episode where they race each other, and it's really... It's really cute. Or, like, there's scenes where, like, she's driving, and he's like, slow down! <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate this. I probably kept you on longer than you planned, but... uh, No, it's all good. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Many of us have herpes. 